past year, I'm only saying one thing. So here it is. When you breathe, you can either think that you're breathing in oxygen or life is entering you through a presence. So this, this can either be imagined as oxygen or all around you there's a life-giving principle. You might not see it, but all of space is not dead. It's alive with something. When you breathe in, if you imagine that there's actually a presence entering you, that presence cannot be seen because the vibrational frequencies are very, very high. In other words, the God force vibrates at extremely high vibrations. That's why your five senses can't pick it up. Our ears can't even hear a dog whistle, let alone the God force. So here's the theme for the weekend. Anybody in this room that starts to breathe during our silence as if a presence is entering your body every time you breathe in. So I'm taking you beyond oxygen and carbon dioxide. Let me give it to you a different way. If you were a fish and you had never been caught in a net, never, then you would probably not know what water is because the egg that you once were was laid out in water. Inside you, you have water. Outside you, you have water. So there's zero contrast. If you've never been fished out, you have no idea what water is. Same thing with you right now and the God Force. There's something vibrating right next to you. Something's kissing your cheek right here, but it's vibrating at 20 million cycles per second. You can't feel it. So then somebody would say, if I can't feel it, how would I worship something that I could never feel? Here's the good news. God Almighty, according to the Vedas, is made of consciousness. In other words, it's massive intelligence. If what's keeping all of us alive is made of intelligence, then its intelligence coincides and interacts with your intelligence. What do I mean by that? If you close your eyes and visualize that you're taking in oxygen, the God force who's made of intelligence is not going to disagree with you. The God force is going to enter you as oxygen. Two minutes later, if you close your eyes and believe that what's entering you is the presence of Holy Spirit, suddenly your meditation will change. So somebody will say, my God, if it, if it were that easy, you're probably just teaching us creative visualization. In other words, the reason I feel better on the second breath is that I'm visualizing that the Christ Spirit is coming in me. That's probably what's happening, but that's not what's happening. It's deeper than that. Imagine that what's keeping you alive is made of consciousness. If something's made of consciousness, it pays attention to your consciousness. So if you call it oxygen, she'll say, okay, if that's all you want, I'll enter you as oxygen. But if you breathe in life, it's like, I'm never alone. You're coming into me 21,600 times a day. See, there's a difference between those two thoughts. Because she's made of thought, she reacts to your thoughts. This is what gets very, very subtle about religion, spirituality, meditation. She dances to your tune because she's made of consciousness. So if you sit right now, we go into silence, and you, go, you say, Kathy is going to say Om, that thought is going to coincide with consciousness and she'll say okay 
if you insist on being Kathy, be Kathy. She won't disagree with you. But if you sit there like a fish surrounded by water, you see, the most loving presence in the universe just entered my lungs, and I'm, this body is just a vase. It's just a vase, and as I breathe in, this presence, alive and conscious, starts filling up my vase. By the time the holiest presence gets up to around my chest, my name is, is drowning in the incoming breath. By the time the God Force gets to my crown, there is no combis. So, listen hard. I'm giving you the key to 25 years of my experience. If you're able to visualize that what enters you is life, not oxygen. What enters you is the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that in a, in a multi-religious way, multiple religions. What enters you is what sustains you. And she has a presence. But you might say, uh, thank you, Kambis, but I've never felt a presence coming into my lungs. And my answer to that would be that you're resisting that notion. Then you might say to me, oh, so you mean if I visualize the Lord coming into my lungs, will the Lord come in? I say, no, no, I'm not talking about visualization. I'm talking about spiritual certainty. If you were to go into the street tomorrow for half a day, and every time you breathe, you just say, ah, you just keep coming into me. I'm never alone. You just keep flowing into me. I'm never alone. You're always with me. See what happens to, to your state by noontime. You fly into bliss. But I'm not talking about visualization. I'm saying for you to be brave enough so that when life comes in, you feel a life-giving principle coming into you. That's Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga is breathing in God beyond oxygen. Nothing wrong with the other movements. But see, what's powerful about Kriya Yoga, Kriya Yoga deals with breath, 99%. What is breath beyond oxygen? What's breath? Breath brings in life. What's life? It's a presence. It's a presence. It's an actual presence with lots of force to it. I was totally satisfied with TM. What was happening with TM is a form of Raja Yoga. TM was really focusing my mind and my concentration muscles were becoming very, very strong. I could sustain one mantra. I was doing seven hours of meditation a day at a dome in Fairfield, Iowa. So my concentration muscles were becoming very strong. And Patanjali says, if your mind becomes laser-like, you can fly into bliss because if you become totally focused on one state, then you lose Kambis Nafisi, which is very vital. But think about the Kriya Yoga. The Kriya Yoga says, what sustains you comes in with the breath. And that breath, with that breath, there's a presence that comes in. And if you say, well, I've never felt a presence, my lungs get filled up, but I don't feel the presence, then I would answer you, in a world of consciousness, your state during meditation depends on what you assume is coming into you. Close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. Imagine you're swimming down at the bottom of the ocean and you've been born in that water. You've never seen anything other than water. You're just swimming. That's your natural state. Now, all of a sudden, 
become aware of something surrounding you. Like, pay attention to the periphery of your body. Imagine or feel. Feel some sort of energy right around the periphery of your body as if space, as if space contains a presence. Like there is someone very lovingly aware of you. Like an energy field, you know. Feel the space around you has a presence in it. Now I want you to breathe that presence in. She adores you. Just breathe her in. She absolutely adores the one she created. Beyond oxygen, a presence who absolutely adores you, sustains you. Good, that's what I meant. So, you know, you just close your eyes for a few seconds. I, I just wanted to give you the tangent for this weekend. Uh, meditation is not something that you can do. As long as your notion of I is present, then real meditation has not begun, you know? So let's say you've studied 11 years of meditation, you've done lots of teacher training, you've read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, and then you sit down as, as Kathy and say, okay, the teacher is now beginning the session, so I'm going to meditate. That's the beginning of the trouble right there. And you know why? Because when you were in your mother's womb, you didn't have a name. Uh, the force that put your first two cells together didn't give you a name. There was a force building your body inside mother's womb. That force is just a force. That force is the presence that I'm talking about. So the trouble with becoming an expert asana teacher with a name is that that name is a fallacy. I don't have an issue with your name on your birth certificate, but the certificate and the name go counter to nature. Uh, we put these names on ourselves and then we get all confused, you know? And then if you become somebody important and half of Palm Beach is saying hello to you, then the name becomes fortified. If you want to get out of misery, you know, I've studied volumes and volumes of the Vedas. And I've been in Fairfield for two years, seven hours of meditation a day, 25 years of wandering India and three continents, you know, hundreds of students dealing with them in these courses. Uh, you basically come to one conclusion, if you want to listen to my advice. If you want to get rid of misery once and for all, you need to solve the problem of the mistaken identity. So if you say, Susan Noruzi, the nutritionist, that's fine, you know, that's her role. She's a wonderful nutritionist in the Miami area. That's the role you're playing, just as you're running your spa. The role you have to play because you're in the physical world. You guys have your music, you have to tend to it. But when you get on that stage to play your music, then what gets rid of lack of courage, what gets rid of lack of self-confidence, what gets rid of any worries about recession, whatever, anywhere you're walking, whether you're on stage or on the street, anywhere you're at, make it your practice to breathe in a presence. Because if I say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do pranayam, then you think that we're doing breathing exercises. Uh, I want you to go beyond that. Bring in a presence with the breath. You get this whole weekend to try this.
But, you know, the reason I first had you close your eyes and imagine that the fish is surrounded by water, I really wanted to get that, I wanted you to get that feeling of, oh my God, all my life I've been surrounded by this and I never noticed it. You know, I think Nemo would be massively depressed <laughs> if it discovered what water was. Because here's your God right around you all your life. And it takes you like 48 years to figure this out. Um, when I went into my state of samadhi years ago, that's what it was. Uh, something started twirling me and I got shot out, kind of shot out. And the effect of being shot out of my identity was that there was just this pulsation. Um, um, um. There was just this pulse. I'm kind of saying this similar to the way water is around the fish. I, re I realized that pulse had always been inside me and outside me. It was just so subtle that Nemo had not noticed the water. The secret is in the subtlety. That's why I had you close your eyes. You can do this exercise on a bench in your living room, even without formal meditation. Sit on, sit on your couch and start to relax all the muscles, really, really relax, and then start to pay attention to your periphery, right around your body. And then just bring in the realization that whatever it is in your periphery is alive and has a presence. See, what I just said is really no different than Nemo pausing for one second to feel a ripple of water around his body. Because it's too subtle. You must pause and want to accept that. There are several complicated factors. Number one, you've heard your name all your life. Uh, by now you have some sort of a position someplace. So, you know, there's the spa director and there's the nutritionist. Those kind of complicate the issue. And then there's other things that are laid, laid on you, like your neighborhood, your income, your car, which are all fine. Yoga never says anything nasty about a Corvette or a Porsche. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Yoga is not about this. I've never seen yoga talk about hell or something you shouldn't do. One of the real geniuses of yoga, it doesn't deal with the word no. It's very smart of yoga because your mind will always rebel against no. If you see what's happening to religion right now, the newer religionists are, are saying, get rid of toxic shame. Uh, John Bradshaw was one of the first modern American writers. He was an ex-alcoholic. He said, you know what? Christian societies are filled with this notion of toxic shame. It's like, I am born a sinner. <laughs> so the kid is wondering at the age of five, why she's so sinful. And I'm sure that wasn't the intention of Christ, but this, this sin business starts to fill you with shame. And then shame gives you the wrong notion about you. In essence, you're not a name, you're not a passport. In essence, your breath coming in to a vase. Once that breath fills this vase up to around here, the name starts to drown, which is what I'm hoping is going to happen to you this weekend. I'm hoping that your bodies here will be like vases, and as you get filled with breath, you're going to fill up to here. Once you're filled up to here with the God force, I'm hoping there'll be nothing left of you. What will happen to you if there's nothing left of you and you're playing guitar on a stage? What will happen to you? One would think a big disaster because you may forget the words. You may forget your moves. Whatever, politician, teacher, what would happen to you? You're treating somebody's skin and all of a sudden you're filled up to here with the Holy Spirit. 
How are you going to treat the woman? My answer is expertly. You know why? Uh, your, entire, your entire set of problems, if you have any, your entire set of problems, any kind of sadness, any feeling of loneliness, any lack of money, any lack of self-confidence comes from one thing. I. Uh, this talk is subtle. I don't want you to misunderstand. I want you to treat your bodies beautifully. So, you see, here we're not, we're not putting you down as a living being. It's just this notion of Kambiz Nafisi, the Kriya Yoga master from Persia, words. See, that identity starts to get us into trouble. If you walk into a big party and there's one person breathing in a presence, you want to inch up close to that person. Because what happens, instantly, uh, fear disappears. You know, the minute the name Susie disappears, right after that, fear disappears. When fear disappears, your face changes. If you're, if you're surrounded by a presence, and just you're at the airport, and just letting that presence fill you, everybody in the hall will know. Because something in your face will be lost. That I-ness, the I-ness will be lost. And then people fall in love with you very quickly. And Mahatma Gandhi said, the day you turn zero, the world falls in love with you. What he meant with zero is that the I-ness is cast. So easier said than done. What if you're becoming very famous, right? If you're becoming powerful, if you're becoming famous, and people are paying attention to you, then you have an extra challenge. Because you know, you're before the podium, and people are clapping for you, and you're just saying, the presence is coming in. I'm just a vase. I'm going to tell you about three phases that you're going to go through, or maybe you've gone through these. Maharishi put three names on these. He said, your first state of uh, consciousness is called transcendent consciousness. What Maharishi meant by uh, transcendent consciousness, he said, every time you meditate, you calm down. And then as soon as you come out of meditation, uh, somebody swerves in front of you in traffic, then you're a mess again. So that's transcendent consciousness. You're doing really, really well in your formal practice. As soon as you come out of it, you start to lose balance. That's one. The second one, Maharishi called cosmic consciousness. He said at some point, meditation becomes so much of your cell structure that when you're in activity, you are witnessing yourself in activity. So it's like, I'm teaching to you right now as the body of this Persian man, but right around here, there's this consciousness watching the teacher teach you. There's like three of us. There's the witness, there's the body of the teacher, and then there's the listeners. Cosmic consciousness means no matter what you're doing, you're oddly aware of what you're doing. These things are very difficult to describe in words, by the way. You know, how does one describe witnessing? Like, I could move my arm like this and witness moving my arm instead of saying, my arm just moved. You know, the wonderful thing about babies, apparently babies up to his particular age don't know that this is their own foot. So when they're very young they can f put their foot in their mouth and they won't know that this is my foot. Apparently right around 18 months they suddenly realize, oh, I'm moving this. And that's the beginning of trouble. Because that's where the notion of I comes. 
young babies, you know, if they have their milk, they're just like totally drunk. It's like everything is fine. There's no sense of worry, really, because there's no ayanus. Anyways, let's talk about these states of consciousness. So in the first stage, every time you do your formal practice, you're calm and collected. As a few hours pass, you start to lose balance. Second one, you've done enough meditation where you go to the office and you're by the photocopier machine, there's a real time pressure with your boss, you're photocopying the pages, but there's some layer here, breathing or on a mantra or just witnessing that the body is photocopying. Beyond that, I cannot explain in words. If any of you go deep enough this weekend, you might watch a thought bubble float by, but you're not completely drowning in that thought. Of course, I could give you the experience in one second right now. All you've got to do is stare at the floor, and then we've done this before, four months ago. I'll just say one, two, three. When I say three, I want you to very anxiously wait for the next thought. We'll just do this for a second. One, two, three. Waiting for the next thought. I'm waiting. Still waiting. That's what witnessing feels like. Accepting cosmic consciousness, it's happening to you a lot. So I have students who wake up in the morning, they're taking care of things in the living room, and then suddenly they're pulled back into cosmic consciousness. So they're taking care of things, but the witness is very present. The witness is beyond the name. When we say honest, by the way, we don't mean that you're a liar, but honesty takes a lot of work. I knew an Indian woman in Geneva she would take three, four hours before she commenced praying. And I got what she told me. She said, look, if you want to do the kind of praying that immediately affects these forces, you've got to be completely at the center of your heart. You know, a four-year-old praying is going to be very powerful. A 34-year-old has to go through these layers so that whatever you're praying to is very close to you. So it's not that we're trying to be liars. There are all these layers. Even, you know, even a guru or a psychologist will have layers. As a matter of fact, we're in dangerous professions, people like me, because if enough people salute you, then you start hiding behind the title of guru, then you're really into trouble because you may stop working on yourself. After samadhi, the witness sticks around forever. Find some place near you that you feel is the center of your soul. So you could put your palm on your heart. Somebody could fix their gaze between the eyebrows as a center of wisdom. I assume different cultures also have different gestures. You know, in some cultures they do this, you know, put the palm on the heart, so to speak. Beyond cosmic consciousness, there's God consciousness. God consciousness means that you used to be a student of yoga seeking God. Now, now, you are the force breathing into a vessel and filling it up, but you're the force. You're not the vase that's being filled up. What I just said is a huge leap. You see, I have some super advanced students now who are very close to samadhi. And here's the main difference between them and what we call a siddha. A siddha is somebody who has that witness all the time. In other words, your mind has become so quiet, your body is coursing with kundalini, 
your meditations have become very deep, but in your best experiences, you feel like Stephanie just had a meeting with the God Force. That's a Siddha. The Stephanie part, in other words, there is a person, a meditator, who just had a very deep encounter with that. And then there's one other frontier that you'll cross, which is that is flowing into the vase all day, filling it up so that you're drowning in God. When I say God, I'm referring to energy. Now, if you were to love Christ, I would agree with you because it doesn't much matter, really. This energy that I'm talking about is subatomic. So there's really, there's really no contradiction between your religion and what we're talking about here. Your religion is the form that you love. It can take the form of a cathedral. Fine. This is subatomic energy we're talking about. So uh, please never think that something like breathing is going to interfere with your religion. Except what I would tell you is when you get to cosmic consciousness and God consciousness, you're going to start feeling the texture of God. What an odd statement. You know, in chapter 6 of the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord, Krishna, says to Arjuna, the student, says, says, you're right about ready to feel my texture for the first time. I've had students say, we've had like four years of very deep meditation, but this time, not only I felt the presence, but I felt the texture of that presence. I hope this doesn't give you a headache because, you know, this just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. There's no end to how deep this can get. If you're a smart person, you'll never be bored with this activity because you're going to continue unraveling. You just keep unfolding. So look at the three stages. Transcendent consciousness, you're very calm while you're in practice. Cosmic consciousness, your identity has now become half and half. In other words, you go to the painting gallery, it's opening night, your paintings are there. Your body self is kind of nervous as the first five people walk in, but there's a witness watching your life as, as a painter. It's very pleasant, you know, because the witness doesn't really panic on opening night of the gallery. And of course, because the witness is there, you can recover your self-confidence very quickly when you get shaky. So let's say somebody offers you a $90 million transaction, your, the body self is be, beginning to panic, and then the witness is just, oh, it's just kind of watching your life. So it brings you back to balance very quickly. At the last, last stage, God consciousness, you are moving with the instinct of God. In other words, you're breathing in 21,600 times a day. In God consciousness, every time breath comes in, the presence of the Lord fills the vase up. But now I'm going to give you a very golden secret. I'm going to give away a secret here. If you ask me, what will transport me from cosmic consciousness into God consciousness? What will transport me? Number one, I would say the grace of the Guru and the grace of the God force, obviously. But number two, what will transport you from the middle stage to the most advanced is your own spiritual certainty that the creation cannot be different 
from the Creator. Now, logically, you agree with that already. But it's something else being at the airport and allowing God to fill up the vase 21,600 times a day. Because if your luggage gets lost, you're screaming. So when you're screaming, you've forgotten to breathe that force in. Do you know why all 8 billion people don't achieve God consciousness? It's actually very simple. Uh, we're afraid that our basic needs will not be met if we walk around as God. That's what it is, you know. In other words, if, if BBC News came on and said, folks, breathe in God all day and all of your savings accounts will be full of dollars, suddenly you'd have a lot more religious people. <laughs> See, I'm not making fun. Because we're animalistic in our bodies, we're afraid of survival. And it's exactly that fear that drives you away from a very easy attainment of God. You see, um, you, you try this business of breathing God in and filling up the vase until your proposal gets stuck in the decision-making committee. At that point, some thought comes in. It's like, okay, if God were with me, the proposal would have gone through already, or many other pleasant things. What happens there? It's exactly what happened to Christ. You see, right after they put him on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's the disastrous moment. You forget. You forget to allow the force to fill up the vase. If you were to be gutsy enough to stay in that proposal, you know, the, the, your proposals being weighed, if you were to completely stay in that process as God filling up the vase, the proposal and many other things would come through because everything's being run by one force. Your challenge is spiritual certainty. You can call what, what I'm saying, you can call this being religious or simply being certain that the creation cannot be different from the creator. That just doesn't make logical sense. So here's where we get into trouble. Recession comes, your company's downsizing, and I'm asking you to fill up your vase with the one and only force. At that point, you hiccup. Your practice stops. And because the force is made of consciousness, she knows when you hiccup. You're not a sinner. You're just taken aback because you're not sure whether you can survive. It's that fear of survival that stops faith. So then, why is it that one out of 100,000 people are walking around in total bliss all the time. They were gutsy enough to try it under all circumstances. It's like your dad is passing away, you're holding his hand and saying, Papa, you're going home. Very difficult, right? Emotionally speaking, it's very difficult. But if 21,600 times a day your creator was filling you up, you might change in that way. If you've ever been influenced by a charismatic person, that's all they are. You know, the really charismatic ones in any field, they seem to be talking to an invisible friend that you don't see. You'll meet people who are talking to someone else. I am becoming more impatient as, I, as my years of teaching are going on. I'm trying to give you the one straight arrow advice. I still do psychological courses and, and all of that stuff. 
But this is the straight arrow. What you're suffering from is the mistaken identity. So, you know, we could push a button right now and I would switch tracks. I would say, okay, let's talk about mudras. You know, let's, let's talk about different movements. And is it good to eat shish kebab or vegetarian food? We could get into all that. But hopefully I'm not being too blunt with you. By the way, at the end of each session, I'll give you energy if you don't mind. I'll take my two fingers up the length of your spine and then some energy here uh, between the eyebrows. Towards the end, maybe the fontanelle. Uh, in the process of giving energy, you have to become a non-person. A person cannot give a person energy. Those of you who have a very good time in this first meditation will close your eyes, will believe that right in the periphery of your body there is a presence that adores you and she breathes into you, filling you up until your name drowns. That's the angle. In Kriya Yoga, we pay uh, attention to the energy centers, just like um, Chinese medicine where you have meridians. In Kriya Yoga, we have 72,000 energy centers called nadis. These are invisible. These are conduits for the God force to breathe through. So if we were to take an x-ray of your body, you could imagine 72,000 channelways in this body. They're tiny, tiny, like capillaries, symbolically speaking. And through them, the God force breathes. If you have blockages in these, then those blockages actually stop your happiness. Uh, what, what may block your plumbing system? 72,000 pipes. Anything from jealousy, envy, cigarette smoking, uh, you're still upset at your dad, um, even desires not being met, by the way. Uh, at a very interesting meeting, uh, Maharishi said, if you have some big, big wishes, let's say you grew up in the late 50s and you always wanted a Corvette because you're a motorhead. And you really want this Corvette. You can't get, you've been at an ashram for six months and next to the statue of Shiva, you see a Corvette. <laughs> and at one point, Maharishi said, go get the car. Because if you don't get it, uh, you're losing energy over this unfulfilled wish. So many times Maharishi would say, you must become successful at the material plane because there's all these things you're wishing for. Now, some of them are pretty superficial. Some of them you really want. You know, if you grew up with nine brothers and sisters and you never had a large home, that, that may be a big issue for you. So go ahead and get it. But the way to get it much faster than anything else you allow that force to exist through you. That way your courage is quintupled, your self-confidence is quintupled, you become a risk taker in a wise way. People love you because you're not a me, you're just it. You don't lose your personality. What you lose is anxiety. If you've worked with enough gurus, you'll know that uh, gurus who are teaching around the country have dis different personalities. Gurus don't have a standard personality. Some of them are very hot-tempered. I've seen them. Uh, Muktananda, Baba Muktananda, was a kind of a peppery character. Maharishi was excellent with money. He would buy an old hotel in Chicago, refurbish it and suddenly the thing would go off 50 times in value. Time after time, Maharishi made money. <laughs> he had a very good relationship with money. I mean, he always wore the same kind of clothing, but he was excellent with money. 
Swami Rama looked like Rock Hudson. He was very handsome. He had an issue. He was very good looking. So they come in different personalities. And God help you if you believe the outer personality. Many students are lost that way. Like if you catch me at the airport Sunday night, I'll be wearing a pink polo shirt. It's really going to confuse you. I do it on purpose to test you. I want to see if you get thrown off by a shirt or not. Is that one hard to digest? Has nothing to do with the incoming breath. If you start swindling people, abusing them, that's a different issue. Don't pay attention to outer personalities. Pay attention to the inner electricity. It's what's breathing in. The body of the teacher is irrelevant. It's a vase. These nadis are important in Kriya Yoga. We clean up the passageways. Uh, when the God Force can breathe easily through your system of pipes, uh, you start to feel more energetic, more optimistic. Uh, you're more in tune with natural forces. If you ask me what allows people to manifest faster, one simple answer. Listen to this. The more you identify with the force breathing in you, the faster you manifest. It all has to do with your self-identity. As you identify with what I just said, your vibrational frequencies go up. The higher you vibrate, the faster you manifest. It's physics. Low vibrating people have a very tough time making a living. Well-being, it's a wonderful English word. Well-being, well-being means high vibrating people with open channels. Your 72,000 channels are open. Anything can block those channels. Nicotine, envy, jealousy, lack of forgiveness. The God force will not leave you alone until you're complete. She adores you. The reason she adores you is because you are she. There's not two of you. Please do not kneel and beg for God's attention. You really break her heart. It's this feeling of separation. Most of the world is begging God. You know, the other side of it is spiritual arrogance. That stinks also. Uh, you can go to an ashram and find people who are spiritually arrogant. And that's just the other side of the ego. If you simply feel like what's coming into me is life and life adores me, that's the most non-assuming angle. Because you can go to spiritual places and, and there are senior swamis who will snob you. There's spiritual snobism. You'll see all flavors. If you've been around as long as I have, I've visited many places, you see all these flavors of spirituality. I don't want to overwhelm you with technique. I'll say to you one thing. The one person in this room who can literally close the eyes like Nemo and visualize that I've always been surrounded by a presence that absolutely adores me and she comes into me all I've got to do is breathe that one person will walk away from this weekend with all the prizes it's a matter of getting rid of the mistaken identity assuming oneness using the breath to bring in the force Again, the question comes up, Kambis, if this is what the Vedas call the supreme consciousness, then what does it matter if I'm visualizing oxygen or the Lord coming in? It matters a lot because she's made of consciousness. She wants to know that you know. You've been married eight years and this morning at breakfast, you said, Honey, tell me one more time you love me. 
And he says, but I've said it so many times. Yeah, but just I need to hear it, you see. Same with the Lord. She wants to hear it that you believe that she comes into you. Because she's made of consciousness. She knows what she's doing. She wants to know if you know. I'm telling you, you open all the opportunities to yourself if you simply walk around knowing. Pause during the day and say, I know you're with me. I know you're breathing into me. Go to church and just say, I know you're in my periphery. I know you're aware of me. And then breathe her in. She's made of consciousness. She wants to know that you know. That's it. Will you remember this last sentence I said? Will you remember this? She wants to know that you know. So when you breathe in, just know that a presence is coming in. The instructions I gave you are very simple. But now see what your mind and ego are going to do in the next two days with these instructions. I mean, you know you're alive, and you also know that your breath is sustaining you. You know those two things. The only thing you might kick away is that God is filling you up. And I'm totally non-religious. I'm just saying this in terms of life force energy. And believe me, uh, I've tried and experimented for thousands of hours. I mean, just my two years in Fairfield, that was two years of 14-hour days of just experimenting with psychology, with meditation, with breathing, with chakras. So I'm just giving you the distilled version. 